Ron Galloway, Spinners of Yarns, with Tim Wells, Hello. poet, writer, Man About Town. Man About Town. Uh, the, the podcast really start off at your beginning, so you, you were born in Hackney with an outside loo. <laughs> that was Gary. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but no, I, I, um, I've lived in um, Stanford Hill, Stanford Newington, around that area for a very long time. So, um, always had an indoor loo though. Okay. Not always used a loo indoors, but always had an indoor loo. So, when was that? You, what year were you born? Oh. Well, it was in the 60s. In the 60s, that's, that's all we need to know. So when, when did music become of, a, of an interest to you? Uh, quite early on, my, my dad's a big record collector, so we had a lot of um, rock and roll, soul records, all that kind of stuff my dad was into, so I heard a lot of that. And then, as I was sort of hitting teenager, was all sort of punk stuff and reggae stuff was right into that because you kind of like to have your own thing as well and that really kind of piqued my interest yeah so was the was the punk interest was that was that a fashion thing as well for you um more reggae for fashion because soap and water i was quite a fan of but um yeah i mean punk to an extent but yeah i mean shirts with buttons are definitely a plus yeah and without the top button done up as well, it's worth mentioning. So, when what, what would have been the first record that you bought? Yeah, I know. Maybe Irie Feelings, maybe you know the Ruby Edwards tune. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that. I don't know. It's going back quite a while, and I've got a lot of records since. <laughs> and that was bought in. You remember the record shop? Nah. No. No. Distant memories. That yeah. is. But because um, I remember certainly Dolson area, there was there was about three or four three shops. Yeah. Well, down funny Dolson enough, High Street there. Funny enough, Rupee used to have the record store on um, Ridley Road, where the market. Well, it was on on the market. It's market still just about there. But um, yeah, used to get a lot of tunes off Rupee. Funny enough, and there was M and D on the corner, Third World was up there as well, so yeah, I mean, we used to, that was a good spot for buying records, it was Dalston, there was the Pie and Mash shop as well, which we used to go to, all around Ridley Road, so yeah, that was fun before it got gentrified. <laughs> but that, I mean, it, it, it was, London for me, as, a, as somebody who, who uh, started coming to London 82, yeah. by myself, or to see friends, it was, it was always quite an exciting place to be because there was always something to do you know yeah yeah and it was yeah it was quite a different beast in those days I mean we're not actually we're just off um, we're on commercial street now in um, just by Spitalfields which was a, a very different world in those days this used to be called the land of look behind <laughs> and then Oxton didn't have an H&M days either it certainly didn't yeah. but you so you kind of like coming through for for punk but reggae was more your, your, your staple. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was bands like the the Rots are Light and the members bands like that. It always kind of had quite a bit of reggae to them. And yeah, all the, I think it's what was it? The young people call it Harrington punk, is it? Yeah. Is that the right term now? But um, yeah, that kind of like middle bit when you know when music's in conversation. I kind of like that, which you know I think 
later on the punk stuff kind of went up it got very formulaic and dull for me but, yeah. but I liked it when they were kind of messing around with stuff and different styles of music were talking to each other I've also found that a bit more exciting yeah but I think the the, 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 the split up it was kind of like probably more it, it, it gave the working class really a, 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 a more of a chance to to make their politi- their statement with music you know the, the way that it trickled down to the third wave let's say yeah you know, when you know whether you, you like the music or not you know things like hardcore with discharge and 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 their sound, the anarcho-punk sound, you know, they, they it, it was, it gave kids an identity. Yeah, a scruffy one. Yeah. <laughs> and a chance, and a chance to uh, create their own music, which is, yeah, actually, to yeah. create something is great, whether you like it or not. Yeah, no, that's certainly true. I think, probably more, for me, I was probably more into fanzines, and, and I mean, I did see a lot of the anarcho bands in actual fact I didn't really like many Zounds I really liked I thought they, they were really good Zounds were good yeah they, they were great bands but uh, the whole yeah I, I did like the whole sort of doing it yourself aspect and I liked a lot of the fanzines and I, I, I would always buy a fanzine yeah I think that was a good thing which I suppose now we, we've got the interwebs for that yeah but it's still not quite the same no no but do you, uh, do you remember then the first fanzine that you bought Maybe strangled. What was that? Was that the London one? No, it was the it was the, the stranglers. Strang- stranglers fanzine. Yeah, maybe that. Yeah, I think it might have been actually. But it's gone back a while. But yeah, I would have got it at a stranglers gig. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I'm pretty sure I did. So that, that that was once again breaking things down so anybody could do it. You know, whereas before, you know, to do a magazine. You know, in the, in the, the the 60s or the, the the early 70s was a bit more difficult to do, or the, there wasn't, a, let's say, a market for it. Or well, it was there was fanzines in the 60s. I mean, it was, yeah, they kind of came out of fun enough um, magicians doing little fanzines and how to do tricks, and yeah. um, sci-fi fanzines were quite an early thing. Yeah, and then so yeah, I mean, there's a sort of bit of a misnomer about punk starting doing it yourself. It definitely was a big part of punk, which is good, but yeah. And yeah, there was definitely was a lot of punk fanzines and, and quite a few reggae fanzines as well. Yeah. This doesn't get a lot of plaudits these days. I, I would say, you know, if you since we've just had the, the mob the mobzine book or the mob fanzine book and uh, the punk fanzine book, you know, that's yeah. Well, the old punks become academics and study themselves. So you know. Did you ever run a fanzine? Actually, I did run a fanzine. This is Safir who's shouting across the pub. Uh, yes, I, I did a fanzine called Stand Up and Spit. Which it ran for three issues of the glory years. And then after that, I worked on a scar fanzine called Zoo, which a lot of people might remember. Which a bloke called George Marshall started and was the editor. And, and I ran, well, I didn't run it at all. I, I wrote a few... Column, I wrote a column for it and did a lot of reviews and stuff like that. Was that then before you started doing Skinhead Times? Yeah, um, that's George again. I just wrote a few little bits for Skinhead Times, but yeah. yeah. So I can't take the credit for that. That definitely was George. Yeah. So how did you then get on at school? Then was racing something that you enjoyed? 
I did like it, but um, I, I think I, I definitely read more than I wrote at school. And reading wasn't, although it was kind of encouraged, it was encouraged to read what they wanted you to read. Yeah. So I tended to read what I wanted to, which my dad was always very good at. My dad was always like, well, if you want to learn something, you read three books about it, don't read one. So I definitely had that, which was quite helpful in later years, i.e. now. <laughs> so the, the, you, you turned to, to poetry or ranting poetry. Yeah, well, I was one of the original ranters early on. So when uh, Swells, Tiller, Jules, people like that were gigging, I, I was doing gigs in London and yeah, gigging a lot of bands and we were doing stuff in between bands. Um, which is quite high energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I like the immediacy of it. Yeah. What What was the the inspiration there for you? Was that Was that John Q. Clark? Clarky certainly Linton as well, and Mikey Smith. I mean, I, I really liked how Michael Smith and Linton were doing stuff. Obviously, Jamaican accents. And it was just kind of like, well, if they can do that, then any sort of working class accent is fine. And yeah, that, that was definitely inspirational, without a doubt. So, well, because uh, were you, were you, when, when did you become a skinhead then? Or have you ever been a skinhead? No, I've just had naturally <laughs> short hair. But... Uh, It'd be sort of like, yeah, just as I was kind of leaving school, really. Yeah, so I've been around 14, 15, around then, yeah. Do you have long hair for a while? Longer, but it wasn't long. <laughs> <laughs> what about the fashion? Where, where, where were you finding that? Because it is, you know, you, you, you have to go out of your way to, to find clothes that are, uh, have a certain style that you want. You know, well... You, I've always loved the sort of jumble sale and a car boot sale, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm still car boot mad, to be honest. But um, second-hand shops back then, there was a lot of good stuff. I mean, bear in mind, you're looking at sort of 1979, sort of 1982. It wasn't that long ago from when Skinhead and all that was all the rage in like late 60s. In fact, some of the shirts I've got now are older than the time difference from 1969 to 1982. So there was a lot of stuff to be found then, which definitely helped. And also, I, I was younger and thinner, so I could fit into a lot of stuff. It doesn't help now if you have, you have stuff is old, and it's also in tiny sizes, which is just outrageous. So, I mean, kind of like, whilst we're on this angle, how, how then do you find your clothes these days? Um, that's a bit of a sore point. I, I just spent two days earlier this week going to six shops that used to be there that have now gone yeah and then i went to a shop to get some kabichi stuff none of which fitted so i was just like this isn't good yeah <laughs> laugh away <laughs> so we're going back you you made the decision to perform live and that yeah. is that is a nerve-wracking experience certainly your first your first gig that you do do you remember much about that it was nervous but I mean you see people like Ginger John was always quite exciting Attila was talking non-stop <laughs> um, 
So yeah, it, it was nerve-wracking, but when you're young, you're also kind of like, let's have it, and you kind of, you're excited about doing stuff. And you're drunk as well, you know. And you're more wanting to dive in and do stuff. And yeah. I, I've always liked the sort of confrontation between you and the audience. It's not like you're having a go at them, but it's like, you know, let's have a bit of fun with each other. And I like the cut and thrust of that. I really don't like the sort of sit down and acceptance of a lot of readings. I, I like the, I like the heckles. I like the sort of conversation. Yeah, yeah. What's changed for like the current generations of like young poets? Because you don't see as much of that. There are a lot of good young poets. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think what's kind of annoyed me with poetry, and it's not specific to young poets in the slightest, but um, there's a big rush now for acceptance. So. People are very keen to get academic, people are very focused on awards, and it's kind of like, it's everything we're against. I'd much rather see the sort of, you know, the Lintons and the Marquis Smiths, the people who've got something to say and rail against it. Yeah, don't be genteel, go for it. Is that what, why you wanted to get up there was to make a point? Were you political, your first poetry? Um, in, in broad strokes, in the same way that punk and reggae records were, really. I mean, you're still young then, so you're still working out things. But, I mean, you know what you're angry about. You don't always specifically know why. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, there was definitely... I mean, I, w I was no singer and I was no musician, but I, I definitely had stuff to let, let out. So that, that was coming out in poetry, yeah. Yeah. And that would have been quite exciting at that time with uh, Stephen and uh, Attila John coming through. For me at least, what other people thought, I can't say. <laughs> but yeah, but no, uh, Attila was always worth seeing, Stephen Well was always worth seeing, like, um, Jules, Benjamin. Zephaniah, yeah, I mean, Benjamin was great. I mean, like, policemen keep on kicking me to death. I mean, that's, that's yeah, I'll never forget seeing him do that quite a few times actually. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's stayed in my head ever since I first saw it. Yeah, and uh, Jules was always quite a fearsome presence, and still is. And um, you know, Porky was good. Yeah, yeah, lots of different styles, different flavours. Yeah. And one one thing about certainly about London back then, in comparison to tonight, there was a, a quite a big live gig scene. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could go out every night of the week to see a band. Yeah, I mean, we were in those days. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean. People go, funny enough, we were talking about the, the club foot the other day, and I was always like, no, the Clarendon Hotel underneath was even better. And, I, and there was a pub that had two venues, it was, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'd sort of, this before the internet and all that, obviously, but I mean, we were going out what, four or five times a week and seeing bands. Not even bands we liked, it was just like, oh, let's go yeah, out and do something. Yeah. yeah. So, which, which, which venue do you miss the most? Probably the George Roby. In uh, Finsbury Park, and that when, when did that, that became really a, a, a live music venue? Yeah, for for bands that you wanted to go, probably early to mid eighties. Yeah, I mean there was a lot of it was good pub for a lock in before that. So it was yeah. like the old, old Irish pub that everyone, you know, we, we knew it had a lock in, so we were good for that. So we used to drink in there anyway. And then yeah, they had a lot of punk bands on, a lot of ska bands, some metal bands, all that kind of stuff. It was just. A good, messy community pub. Yeah. Yeah. 
which is for, for, for as a youth, that's what you want. You want a pub to be a bit messy and... Uh, well, it's how you actually learn things. I think yeah. pubs now, they're, they're too... Not that, you know, not that a clean pub is a, it's a bad thing, but pubs are quite cliquey now. I think, you know, as, as, as a young person, certainly in our age, you kind of learn how to behave by watching older people in the same spaces. Yeah. You know, and when we were going to pubs, there was all sorts of different people in it. Yeah. And you kind of learn, yeah, I can push this, I shouldn't do that. Yeah. You know, it's like the thing, you know, you know you're an adult when you can stand on the carpet in the pub. Yeah. We, I mean, we're similar ages in the fact that what we could do back in in the, the early eighties, well, we, we might not be able to do in uh, in modern times. Like afford a drink, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's certainly not helping. I mean, venues now you can't even afford to yeah. have a drink. There are there's hardly any venues for small bands anymore, which is you know, which again kind of knocks on the heads young people coming up, which is sad, you know. Even if they don't like the music. They should at least be doing something and having something to say and a chance to do it. Yeah. But they kind of like talking like you, you, you didn't think you were a good enough singer. You, you did get yourself involved in a, a group early 80s. Yeah, but it, it was awful. Was it? Can we follow us on YouTube? <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> but it's, it's, I mean, it goes for a bit of money now, now doesn't it, that, that album? No idea. No? No idea. How did that come about? Um, just through doing the poetry, really, and then um, I was into reggae as well. The, other, the others in the in the stuff in the band was into reggae as well, and we did a few live things. And then my professor got onto us and sort of said, "Why don't you use some of my backing tracks?" And, and we did, and we kind of lucked into it, really. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it was fun for a little while, and then it wasn't. Why, why didn't it? What, what happened in the end? Um, why, why was there no second album? We actually there was two unreleased tracks, if I remember rightly. But now nah, we'd, we'd fallen apart by then. Did you? Did, were you in Blaggers at the beginning? Very early on, but again, I, I wasn't a good singer. Okay. So, no. So you maintain the uh, the, the poetry side during the 80s and <coughs> yeah I was much more into that to be honest and, and yeah I can do that on my own I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not always good with people but uh, on my own yeah I, I can make that happen How do you think the, uh, the, the skinhead scene then developed in London in the, in, in the 80s because it, it went through different different trends to back into really what the skinhead scene was all about in the, in the, the late 60s yeah, it was quite a, as I'm sure you remember, quite a, a difficult time because yeah, there was yeah there was there was a lots of different things, all of which hopefully had the same name, which yeah was fun. But um, I mean, I was and, and quite a few other people were always more into the, the sort of reggae side of things and the, and the soul side. So it was really kind of mid '80s when like um, Hard as Nails and Shard Street were coming up. I think things really changed. And it was kind of like, you know, it's, it's, you don't have to listen to all this kind of rubbish that's being churned out now. And, you know, there was some good music coming up as well, you know, and let's, let's embrace that as well as the, the good stuff that, uh, like good reggae music, good soul music. You don't have to dress like a Gumby. Yeah. You know, let's have a bit of self-respect. There's no bad thing. And things got friendlier, would you say? Not initially. Not initially. 
But that, I mean, that was when I when I first started coming to London. It was very territorial. Yeah. You know, if I if I was drinking in South East London in in uh, Forest Hill area, Lewisham area, then you always had to be on your edge about uh, you know where you were and. Uh, yeah, I think that was true, whether you're a skinhead or not. Though. I mean, London was like that, yeah, definitely. But that, yeah, that didn't help. No. But, he's, but the, the, the whole Skinner thing was split up by South of the River and North of the River and East London. Yeah. And football as well, kind Fo- of like played yeah. a part. Football definitely did. I mean, yeah, there was a whole lot of trouble around football with gigs, yeah. But uh, I mean, we were, we was all more into the sort of uh, rock steady reggae that kind of stuff, and we had our own little dances. But it was like the Penny Black used to do stuff for Dublin Castle, yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's kind of weird how that's now became the mainstream, whereas at the, at the time we were very much not. Yeah, but no bad thing. You also uh, you support Leighton Orient, and I, I remember watching. Or you play against Mansfield Town in '77, so you were up in the second division at that point, and you and must, we're back, and you're back. But you must, you must have, uh, you must have just sold Laurie Cunningham at that point. Yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah, Cunningham was quite an inspirational player. And you had John Chidozzi. John Chidozzi was there. Yeah, you know, so it must have been quite exciting. Why did he choose Leighton rather than uh, West Ham or uh, Tottenham? I'll ask him. Because it started out as Clapton or in. Okay. So when I was living in Spring Hill with Douglas, it was quite close to the um, Orient's original ground at Millfields. Okay. In Clapton. Yeah. So when, when did you go to your first game? <laughs> Mid 70s? Yeah, I would have thought so, yeah. Maybe. Must have been. How's, how's the, uh, how has it changed since since then? Because football has changed, but Orient have never really uh, peaked up too high in uh, the league placing. We was in First Division 81. Okay. When we had those little white shirts with the red braces, remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. And then, actually, I quite like Orient now, because the... The, the ground, I quite like the, when he sold the, the, the corners, so they've got like flats in them now. Okay. So there's actually been a bit of investment in the ground. It's, the atmosphere is pretty good at Orient, I like that. You're still right on the pitch when you sit there. So I think it's done all right, actually, in, in terms of modern football. It's done all right. So have they, they then not embraced modern football as, as, as maybe some of the bigger clubs have? or? It's still still good community at Orient. You can you know it's, you're still right on the edge of the pitch yeah. in terms of seating, which I like. Um, you can get a beer. Yeah, it's all right actually. So football, fashion, music, they're your key things. Start your poetry into your writing. Uh, You've released a number of your poetry on books over the years. Mm-hmm. You then decided to uh, to publish your first book of fiction. Well, actually, I, I lucked into that. Did you? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was doing a panel talk about the media, and I was representing fanzines actually. And then there was a publisher. 
from Unbound was also on the panel and I, I threw a Guardian journalist under the bus which to be honest was pretty easy and a lot of fun and then afterwards a couple of us went to the pub and I was chatting with the publisher John and he was saying that they were just bringing out Dave Hill's autobiography so I was quite excited about it. Then he said to me, what was I working on? And I just said as a joke, I've been working on a book about it. It's Ed Werewolf. And when the full moon's out, his sideburns get really big. And John was like, that sounds great. You know, can we have it? And I was like, I'm joking. And then he was like, could you write it? And I was like, yeah. So I, I lucked into a book deal out with that. So uh, that's how that came around. And then I went with it. And initially I started writing it. And I was really just doing a bad spoof of Swaydead, funny enough. And then I was about six chapters in and it just kind of got more and more autobiographical. But obviously with a werewolf in it. And then I just pulled back and then rewrote it and kind of went that angle with it, yeah. And it was only really after the first one came out, people were kind of picking up about how picky I'd been with clothes in it, which I hadn't really noticed I was doing first time round, but then I was like are you sure and I read back through it and I was actually yeah I was very picky on clothes but I'm always the kind of person you know when you're seeing war films and they have like the wrong tank yeah it drives me mad that kind of stuff so and it's the same way with clothes I mean you know, I don't want to be like those people with like oh yeah it's, this is this is all set in uh, 1979 and they've all got the top button done up and you know all that kind of stuff I was like no 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 if I'm going to do it let's do it right is that purism or autism Probably both. <laughs> I mean, I admit it's a niche interest. So you, you kind of like you, you chose for some reason uh, uh, an old hippie who lived in the commune, Lena Lovitch as a. Uh... Actually, I deliberately chose Lena Lovitch, yeah. who, who bites this geezer to become a werewolf because I wanted someone who was a bit goffy had a sense of humour and actually had a pretty tight band and me and Phil used to go me, yeah, me and Phil used to go see Lady Lovage a couple of times and I thought yeah she'd be alright and because um, she's still alive we actually had to get her permission to yeah. put her in the book and so I got in touch with her and uh, actually I met her which actually got me on a guest list when it's gig in London actually and um, I sent her the chapter she was in and she was like, oh, when's this book set? And I'm like, oh, it's set in 1979. And she went, that's fine. I wasn't a vegetarian then, but that's okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she was, she was lovely, actually. And, yeah. No, I was happy she was in it, actually, yeah. She, she was the right person, I think. Which is quite cent- central to the book. So in 79, it, it's, it's the, the, the clothes, the, the, the bands you went to see, the pubs you were drinking in, uh, uh, connected to your experience. Largely, I mean, obviously it's fictional and, yes. you know, it's, but there's a, there's a large chunk of stuff that I did in there, yeah. I mean, names and places have been changed and all that to an extent, but there's, there's a lot of truth in it, yeah. So when you, you, I would say that that was fairly successful for you? It did all right, yeah. I mean, yeah, successful enough to do the second one and yeah, it's, it's, I think as well, people our age, they're kind of, they've got the records, they've got the t-shirts, and but we want the same but different. Yeah. And it kind of it kind of did that. And also, I think a lot of people, he might be purist, do pick up on details. And we kind of, you know, when 
even like the New English, the New English Library stuff in the 70s, which, as, as quality rubbish, they are quality rubbish, and the details are all wrong, so it's kind of nice to go through and get the details right. And so actually, I mean, it, researching is probably my favourite bit of writing, I really do like researching. And just kind of revisiting stuff, going back to places, digging around in old fanzines, all that kind of stuff I really enjoyed. I mean, the, the one thing I'd forgotten was the kind of shoes that Mod Girls wore. But luckily, I was just put it on uh, on the interweb and then loads of people came back. Yeah. Actually, it was um, Polly in uh, Dublin. It's like, it was easier Muppet. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so that was that was the second book was set in 1980? 1980, yeah. yeah. And that, that was, um, yeah, more of the same, but with uh, Mod Witches in it. Yeah. As well. Actually, in the book, she lives just like the road here. But, yeah. So is, is there a third one? Uh, not at the moment. I am writing a third book at the moment, but it's a portmanteau of haunted items bought at various car boot sales. So there may be some skinhead stuff in it. Wait and see. But there probably will be another specifically skinhead one at some point because they're quite fun to write. I mean, especially with um, lockdown, I found them quite cathartic, really. It was just, yeah. I mean, writing, when the crash fan got killed, I could write that again quite happily. Yeah. Yeah. Record collecting is quite synonymous for you, or quite important for you, because I've seen you over the years at many record fairs, digging and uh, trying to find yeah an elusive record at the right price, I would say. Definitely, yeah, I mean, I, I like the Carboot Cell, I like a record fair, and yeah, I mean, definitely a record collector, and uh, again, I think records are kind of linked with certain places, certain times, certain people, so the right record, it, it does carry a lot with it. Yeah. And that's certainly, when I was writing, I, I was quite picky on purpose about what music I put in it. And, and that was actually, that, that was funny, in the first one, the, the, the editor went through everything and he goes, oh, he goes, there's one record you've mentioned and it didn't come out on this album till 1981 and the book set in 1979 and I was like yeah but it came out on single and he's like yeah fair enough <laughs> but it's very it wasn't you know albums probably really took off 80s onwards you know kind of, a lot of bands just did the single and yeah I mean reggae stuff's always been singles rather than albums anyway yeah. but yeah and a lot of singles had a lot of singles. Uh, well, no, there's a, a reggae, there was a lot of reggae singles released on 7-inch, you know. But. Oh, tons and tons. But when I was writing, um, when I was working on chapters, I'd, I'd, my kind of, I'd write in bursts, because it, it's Pulp Fiction, so I, I kind of like the energy of it. But um, every day I would, I would write for three albums, and it'd be two reggae albums and a punk one, or two punk albums and a reggae one. But they were all, for me, uh, well, for the first book, they were all from 1979. And from the second one, they're all from 1980, so it was all in my headspace. Yeah, that was that was definitely going on. Which which shop do you think would be most synonymous with uh, with London and uh, finding good quality music what for now? you? For what now? Back eighties, nineties. You know what? Probably Rock on Records. I, I miss a lot in Camden. Yeah. That was. More 
sort of soul and punk stuff than reggae stuff to be honest yeah but rock on that that was just fun going there to be honest and you learnt a lot of stuff there and also compendium books was around the corner yeah so I think you know the, the combination of those two it's actually how you learn stuff when we were younger and also you know um, we didn't have the internet so you know we could spend 10-15 years looking for a record that you'd yeah. only ever heard about and there was rumours about you know and yeah. we didn't know what the singers we were into looked like you know and there'd be like some blurred picture of like oh this is Dennis Walks never knew what he looked like but yeah and it'd be some like blurry picture in a fanzine yeah so finding all that stuff out was quite exciting and then reggae wise right I mean bought a lot of stuff from Camden Market and, and Rupee bought a lot of stuff from so yeah I mean I mean that was the, the exciting thing from was going to a record fair and not really having the knowledge the internet wasn't there and just seeing something blind just liking the the the, the label yeah and thinking that's that's good I love that or seeing the producer's name knowing the producer liking yeah. something else that he'd done so uh, that's yeah yeah I'll take that one yeah and also going to dances you kind of people were getting checked out so you kind of like oh yeah so this is Joe Gibbs stuff I like most of that then you start seeing records produced by Joe Gibbs so you start getting into that so yeah and Gladys shop as well where was that? Uh, Instant Newton Gladys Wax had a shop that, that was always pretty good yeah and, and obviously Gladys run well still does run the sound system as well so that, that was always quite educational so how, how do you think London has changed since uh, the early 80s? Or is it you growing up as a, a, a kid? Is it, it's a different beast now to what it was? Well, since I've been living here, the rent's like gone mental. Yeah, that's probably the biggest thing. Pine mashups are dying. That's, that's pretty grim. Pubs aren't what they were. The price of drink is crazy. Six pounds ten. Six pounds ten. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and it's just yeah, you know, time was we could go out with like a tenner, and you come back on the on a Sunday morning, you know. Okay. Yeah. I think it was fifty pounds no, when I started drinking. Yeah, I just think. I think things are a lot more isolated now. I mean, partly because I think people spend more time online and stuff, so they're probably not isolated in the sense that they don't talk to anyone, but I think the, the physicality and community that uh, we were used to is, is very different now. And things, you know, they, you know, things don't stay the same, they should change us, that's all fine, but... Turns, yeah. Is that then, it's kind of like, an interpretation could be that, you know, whilst we were growing up and before that, they needed strong communities to uh, to keep us busy and to keep us motivated. Now maybe, you know, 30 years on, we're not as needed as much as we were. I think that's certainly part of it. I mean, certainly in London now, we've had loads of like housing estates that have just been cleaned out and people sent up north and the Midlands and all that. Where, you know, they've got no one they know out there. But yeah, that's pretty horrendous, to be honest. It's kind of like your poster gigs now will be totally different to what they were in the early 80s. There's still some good ones, there's, there's still a few, but it's not like, because bands now, they don't really get to do the small gigs they used to, you know, and it used to be, oh, we'll, we'll have a couple of poets on, 
whilst we're changing the drum kit over and all that. I mean, you know, we were doing stuff like with the Dead Kennedys, we were doing gigs with them. When the Redskins and the Dead Kennedys played, we were doing poetry in between and stuff like that. You just don't get that kind of stuff anymore. It's, uh, it's more of a, a Mumford and Sons and Coldplay kind of <laughs> like, that's uh, how bands break through now. If you got some money in your, your back pocket or your parents have a, a bit of cash. <laughs> you can, well, like uh, the alternative scenes now have just been like slowly weed, like thinning the crowd. And it's through like the changes in the industry, labels, things like that. And it started slowly and now we're very much at like, the other end of it. Yeah, also I think it's, it's a lot harder now, even though the technology's there, it's, it's harder now, I think, for young people to kind of make their own... I think they can make the music, but getting the music out to people, it's not like you, it's not like you can make a record, like when we were young. Yeah. Well, one thing, people don't really have record players so much these days, but even with like online files and stuff, I mean, are they getting out? I don't know. But I think it would be, you know, when we were growing up, people could sign on and build their band up whilst they were signing on or be an artist or be a, po- yeah. a poet whichever whichever uh, format they wanted to be creative with they could do it and live I mean, to a degree i mean you could scrape by on a 25 quid a week you could scrape by on that or if, or if you had a little job you could scrape by on that and, and go out a little bit i think now even young people I know are working. They're, they're working two or three Mickey Mouse jobs, and they're not good. They're working hard for nothing. Yeah, you know. When I know we had it bad, but I think they've got it worse. Yeah, I think it was it, it was much better for the, the for human beings when there was a strong community to work within than being a bit polarised. Yeah, know, 30, 40 years later, because I think certainly after that first lockdown, that you realise how important other people are. Yeah. To, to you as a human being, you know, so it's good to be around people, you know. And well, some people. Yeah, of course, yeah. But that, but that was very much the same in, in the early 80s as well, you know. <laughs> that's, that's very true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, do you do a lot of corporate gigs? Not a lot, to be honest. I mean, if the right corporation pays me the right money, I'm not in a position to say no, but to be honest, no. <laughs> Do you have an agent then? Have you no. ever, had, never, ever no. had an agent? That is one good thing with, with the interwebs, is you don't really need to have an agent. So uh, stuff comes to me so I can mess it up myself. Right. And that is obviously one of the big revolutionary changes has been the, the, the internet to get your messages across. Yeah, I think when it's done well, yeah. that, that can be very good. I liked like the Lovely Eggs, I was on one of their um, XTVs things recently. That was quite fun. I like their sort of hour-long YouTube shows. With it's got all sorts of people on it, quite a, a random mix of people, which is always good. Yeah. I mean, that's got. I think I had that idea about five years ago for the shop that I had to do something over two hours in the shop every Friday and invite loads of guests round. You know. But yeah. I think it's that community thing again. You're pulling people in yeah. to give them a voice. And a couple of reggae shops now they're doing like. Um, down at Line Vibes, they do like Selectors Thursday, where people just like roll up with some tunes and yeah, yeah. just stand behind a counter. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's like, you know, old time record shops, we can go down and just spend a day listening to music, having a beer, yeah. meeting a few mates. So it was, yeah, part yeah. and parcel of it. it was good. I mean, it, it, after having a record shop for a number of years, it, you, you, it's more of a social gathering than, uh, 
yeah. a, a financial reward. It should be, but I just don't think it, the, the amount of shops have to pay for rent now. They can afford to have like people like us sitting around having a beer. Yeah, which is a shame. The uh, the, the, the political side is is also another ever changing scene. So kind of like what is what was at the early eighties is no longer no not in the, the the strength or power that they had. Or maybe they are, but in different well, I think, disguise, in different clothing. Well, I think the last few months the, the unions are making a comeback, which is definitely a good thing. I think that definitely was a, a constructed change from where, you know, late 70s, the unions are pretty strong. And it's weird looking back how the most socially mobile time in the country was the 70s, which we wouldn't have thought it back then. Yeah, yeah. But now it's just like... For uh, all the um, wokeness and right onness and modern Britain we live in, it's just social movement ain't happening. Yeah. Yeah, we're but stuck. What, what do you think of the 15 minute cities? The what? Oh, the 15 minute zones. What are they? Are they uh, the the, the Ulis or whatever they, they call. I, I live in London, I don't drive. Yeah. But it, it's, I haven't got a clue. I don't know anything about But it, it's, you know, it's. Uh, Potentially could could change the way that we move freely. And we've not even got, we don't even have a tube station rather. Really, so, yeah. like, so where do you think Orient have just got promoted to the Division Two? Yep, glory is. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think you'll get on there? Because it, it changes. I think that's a there. I think was probably the right level for us. Um, we had a really good season last season. I'm sure we'll have good ones and bad ones as we normally do moving forward. But um, yeah, it's, it was nice to see us go. I mean, it was only not too long ago we were out of the league altogether. Yeah. So yeah, it's nice to come back. And we had that awful Italian running us. Which they had to change the rules. <laughs> the whole football league it was so bad. Another yeah. win. <laughs> and you had Barry Hearn as well, didn't you? Oh, I, like, I liked Barry Hearn actually. Yeah. I mean, he, he was Barry Hearn, but yeah. uh, I. I liked what he did actually, I thought he was alright. Yeah, I think. Uh, did you ever get involved in any any Orient fanzines there? I did write a couple of things. There was a late on a here, I wrote a couple of articles for him, but nothing to write home about. He, I wrote it for the fanzine, I didn't write it. But no, I did a couple of little bits, bits but um, no, I wasn't really properly involved in anything like that. I did buy it pretty regular. I used to like um, when Saturday comes, that was always yeah. quite entertaining. When it was on paper and all that, yeah. yeah. So it used to be that um, football fantasy shop, remember that in Sports Sports Pages. That's the one, yeah. Just the best, one of yeah. the best uh, shops around at that point. Yeah, the, uh, that, that was always the good. 90s. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Yeah. Tim Wells, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.